Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. The reading today comes from Galatians 3, 4-7. Now before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now the faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Uh, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to promise. I mean that of heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you were no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. All right, uh, I have to remember. Okay, so uh, Elevate and EGC Children, you may, this is the first time I've gotten this right, guys. In, in the four years I've been here, this is the first time I've actually dismissed the kids at the right time of the worship service. I'm so proud, and you should be proud to say you were here to see this happen. So it, it took me four years to get it right, and now I have. All right, good morning, it's good to see you all. It's good to be seen by you all. Uh, by that I mean it's always nice to be alive and up and standing and be in with God's people to worship and fellowship together. My name is Darden Kaler. I am one of the pastors here at Refuge. And we are in the process of going through the Apostles' Creed. This is the second sermon in that series. And I was, uh, I, I was thinking about it today. I have been preaching. I preached my first sermon when I was 19. So... Uh, I've been preaching for roughly 33, 34 years. And I've done this sermon series. I've not preached every sermon in the series, but I've, I've been a part of this sermon series through the Apostle, Apostles' Creed. This is the third time now. <laughs> and and it, it, every time it's a little different. Every time it's, uh, it, it's, it's great. The last time was at a church where Joel Keen and I were pastors, um, and that was in 2015. The, the previous time was when I was at a church that I helped plant in San Antonio, Texas, and that was, uh, I don't even remember when that was, to be honest with you. If you've never been to San Antonio, I recommend if, you, if you're down there, visit Hope Church. It's a great place to, to visit while you're in San Antonio, and visit all the other stuff because it's a beautiful city, the Riverwalk, uh, all the missions that are there, the Alamo, of course. You've got to go see the Alamo, and if you go to the Alamo, make sure you spend time to look at what is uh, commonly known as the Big Tree. I don't know that it actually has a formal name. It's just called the Big Tree. It's a uh, 
It's a large live oak that is in the Convento courtyard of the Alamo, and it's this, uh, have you ever, does anybody know what a live oak is? They, they grow really weird in arid or semi-arid climates. They look like big bushes, like really big bushes, right? And so this tree was transplanted there. It's 150 years old. It was transplanted there back in 1912 by a man named Walter Wall. He was a, an entrepreneur from San Antonio, and he started the very first tree-moving company in the United States. Yes, there are such things as tree-moving companies. He started the very first one in the United States, and he moved the tree. When he moved the tree, it was already 40 years old. So that means uh, live oaks, they, they have a really big, shallow, spread-out uh, uh, root system and a really wide canopy, and then all these mangly-looking branches that grow up from basically the roots. They, they rarely have just one stump coming up or one, one uh, trunk coming up. So this tree, he, planted, he, he, he transported it, and it was already huge. And when he transported it, uh, or transplanted it, the, the rumor has it, or the, the, the legend has it, that, that nobody believed he could do it, including the people that hired him to move it. Uh, they didn't believe that he would do it, and he had some kind of guarantee, I don't know, money back or double money back, or if I can't do it, you know, I'll, I'll eat my shoes or whatever. I don't know, something like that. He had this guarantee that if he couldn't move it and, 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 and it survived the move, that, that whatever it was, he would do that for the people, and they didn't believe he could do that. Now, 110 years later, the tree stands as proof that they were wrong. Jump forward to 1990. Paul Simon releases his follow-up album to Graceland. Anybody ever hear Graceland? Great album. Great, great album. The follow-up album was called Rhythm of the Saints. I think it was equally as good. I saw it live in concert. That was spectacular. There were 40 drummers on stage. It was brilliant. Anyway, um, Paul Simon releases uh, Rhythm of the Saints. It's a great album. I recommend it if you've never listened to it. And the second track on the album is a song titled Proof. Proof. That's it. And if you go through it and you listen to it and you read the words, the, the end of the chorus, every time he sings the chorus, the, the chorus ends with two lines. And the two lines are this. Faith is an island in the setting sun. Yes, proof is the bottom line for everyone. Now, the song is purportedly about uh, the discrepancies that we all experience between the dreams of our youth and the uh, realities of, how shall we say it, growing more mature. Aging, right? The dreams of our youth and the realities of what life turns out to be like when we're older. For example, you know, uh, I, I dreamed of being a rock star when I was young. Every kid that's a musician, I think, dreams of being a rock star when they're young. I dreamed of being a rock star when I was young. But for most of us, the realities are working nine to five, doing just jobs, which are great jobs, and they're jobs given to us by God, and they're jobs that we should do to the very best of our abilities for God's glory. But it's different than being a rock star, right? Dreams of our youth and the realities of our today. Or dreams of being wealthy and realizing each time you go out to pick up the mail that there's another bill in there and another bill and another bill and another bill. And those bills just keep coming. They don't stop. They go on and on and on. Especially when you got kids, because kids cost a lot of money, it turns out. The dreams of our youth and the realities of our day-to-day. -day. When the realities of life don't live up to the dreams of our youth, what we have is this discrepancy that often causes some level of disappointment and skepticism and despair. And we have a hard time believing 
in, in having faith, you might say, in, in the future, right? We, we often think of the future optimistically, but when, when we live out reality, we have a hard time looking at the future optimistically. We may even have a hard time believing in anything. And thus, Simon compares faith to an island in the setting sun, something that's distant, something, something that's fading, something, something that's hard to see, that's growing dim, it's a little bit out of sight, and, and eventually will be totally gone. Faith is an island in the setting sun, and proof is the bottom line for everyone. It's not difficult to understand why Simon feels that way, right? I mean, we live in a world where truth is a relative rare commodity. (laughs) It's hard to find. It's hard to see. Deceit seems to flow so freely through the modern narrative that, that who do you believe anymore? Why should I believe them? It's, it's discouraging. It, it, it's upsetting. It's difficult to know who's telling the truth. It's difficult to know what the truth is. It's easy to lose faith in people and institutions and to have our faith be shaken to its core. Nevertheless, as Christians, each one of us is called to be a person of faith. Together, we're called to be a people of faith a body of faith, a a group of people that believe in something. People who not only know about God, but actually believe in who He is, who He claims to be. People who believe in God the Father Almighty, just as we proclaim each and every week in the Apostles' Creed. Joel explained last week that creeds are are summaries of biblical teachings. They're They're not additions to, they're not extra biblical we, we, we recite creeds and we have creeds because they tell us in a synopsis, in a short sentence of what we believe about what the Bible says, about who God is, about who we are, about what he calls us to be and what he calls us to do. So we recite the Apostles' Creed each week to better understand what it is that we believe and, and to avoid the false doctrines that creep up out of, say, pop songs. Faith is an island in the setting sun. Proof is the bottom line. And those things lead to wrong practice. It's much like the reason Paul wrote the book of Galatians. He wrote it to counter the false doctrines of the day, the theological errors that had had creeped into the church in Galatia, specifically those taught by the Judaizers, right? The Judaizers were Jewish Christians who um, were teaching that Gentile Christians needed to be like them. Uh, They needed to uphold all the Old Testament laws and rules and regulations and so on. They needed to do those things, not just to be like them, not just to get into fellowship, but to actually be saved. You have to do these things. These are still part of what God told us. You must do all these things or you can't be saved. Paul says that such teachings are no gospel at all. In fact, they contradict what the gospel is. They contradict what we know it to be. For we're saved from laws the law's curse. By, Jesus saved us from the law's curse by, by being a curse for us. He was the one that took the penalty for our sin. He was the one that took the penalty for our inability to uphold God's law. And thus we are justified before God by grace through faith in Christ. And for us then, for us believers, for us who, who profess that each and every week, the proof for us is the spirit that lives in us and testifies to who Christ is, and to, to what God has done through him. Paul says in Galatians 4, 
God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit, uh, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father! So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. My friends, for us, the proof is the Spirit. For us, the proof is what's living in here that calls us to be here each and every week. You may think to yourself, I I, I don't know that I really believe this, but for some reason, I keep going to this church that's in a brown warehouse on the side of the road. I keep going. Why is that? That's the Spirit at work in your heart. That's the Spirit drawing you closer to God. It's the Spirit that stands as our proof of our faith in Jesus Christ. The 19th century Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, said this. He said, the surest mark of God's grace is the desire for more. Now think about that for a second. The surest mark of God's grace is the desire for more. Why is that? How does, it, how does that play out? Think about it this way. The person that does not have God's grace does not desire more of it. The person that does not have God's grace may not even acknowledge it or recognize it, but if you desire more of God's grace, certainly then the Spirit is at work in your life. Certainly then, God's grace has been poured out into you. It proves the indwelling of His Spirit in our hearts. And it's consistent with who He describes Himself to be throughout history. In Exodus 34, God basically said He was merciful, gracious, patient, loving, faithful, forgiving, and just... And and that's what the Holy Spirit testifies to us in our hearts. We know these things to be true because the Spirit is working and, and speaking to us and changing us and drawing us into a closer fellowship with God. Though they'd heard this before, Paul reiterates this to the Galatians to keep them from believing that God's grace wasn't enough. It's something that we all do. There are times in our lives when we all think to ourselves, Ugh! I'm a mess. God can't possibly love someone like me. Look at me. Why would he? It's easy to believe. It's part of our our broken nature. And Paul knows this, and he knows that there's this temptation in the hearts of believers to, to, to follow this lie to its logical conclusion and let it lead them away from what Christ has intended for their lives. So he reminds them that God was their father. And since God was their father, they could live as his children. They could live as those who were, who were connected to God by blood. By Christ's blood. Live not as those who are slaves to the law's demands, but as those who have been set free by Christ. And those implications apply to us as well. They apply to every part of our lives, each and every day. We're not slaves who are bound by the law. We're not bound to obey because if we don't, God will stop loving us. We're sons with the benefits and the resources and the duties that come with all of that. And the joys, the privileges, and so on. We're heirs to God's promises, to the Father's promises to us. So what do you think? What do you think of when you think of father? Different people think of different things. Some might think of authoritative, distant, grumpy. You know, when my dad came home from the office, uh, he, he wore a suit and a tie to the office every day. <laughs> right? It's a different era, I guess. 
And he'd come home, and there was this period of time where, you know, dad was home, and, he'd, and, and all you'd get out of him was grunts. How was your day? Uh. Anything nice happen? Uh. When I first started dating Belinda, her dad was exactly the same. Worked at the same company. I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Uh, uh, first, time, first couple times, we were dating, and I would come into the house, and I... I was a little bit Wally Haskell for anybody who knows Leave it to Beaver uh, at the time. So, hello, Mr. Rula, how are you this evening? Uh, you know, that's, that's all I get out of him, and, that, and I get that. So, so some, for some of us, the dad on the Wonder Years, if, you, if anybody's ever seen the, the original Wonder Years, I haven't watched much of the new one, so I can't quite tell you what that's like. But uh, the original Wonder Years, the dad there was the perfect example, right? Sort of just stern, and he's the guy that earns the money, and he works out of the house, and don't bother your dad when he comes home from work. Stay out of his way. On the other hand, maybe you think of fun and gracious and loving and kind. Maybe that was your dad. Our culture often depicts dads as uh, bumbling, inept, dolts, Homer Simpson, Ray Barone, Frank Costanza, Hal Wilkerson. It's Malcolm in the Middle if you don't know who Hal Wilkerson is. Um, but that, that's, what, that's what we often paint, and that's often what we see depicted in, in culture. But the fact is the Bible paints an entirely different picture of fathers. Despite the many references of earthly dads in the Bible that are... Uh, Less than perfect, shall we say. Especially Adam, who left us with a legacy of sin, guilt, condemnation, death, and so on. Not all dads in the Bible are that way. Particularly the one that we're supposed to focus on, which is the picture of God the Father. Who promises us redemption and forgiveness and salvation and life. So the biblical examples of humanly dads are, are those of failure and and pain and suffering at times, the image of God the Father transcends and, and, and redeems those images of Father. And it gives us a glorious picture of a, of a Father who is perfect and, and superior to those dads in each and every way. Different. 180 degrees different. Think of it like this. Uh, Lord of the Rings fans. Um, Think of it like this. There's a, there's a part in the, in the second movie where uh, uh, Gandalf, after he's fallen in Moria, Gandalf returns and, and he appears to three of his friends, right? And what he says about himself, I've always found very, very interesting. He says, um, he calls himself, uh, I'm not going to go into the explanation because those of you who are not interested will go, why is he telling me this? <laughs> uh, but for those of you who are interested, he says, I am Sauron, or Saruman, or Saruman as he should be. That's God. That's our Heavenly Father. He's the, he's the Father as they should be. He, dads, he's the Father as we should be. I don't say that to beat us up. I just say that to remind us that, hey, you know what? Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to mess things up a lot, but he's perfect. He's the, he's the Father He's all fathers as they should be. There's only 15 explicit references to God as the Father in the Old Testament. And yet, there are over 165 references in just the four Gospels alone. 
165. This was important to Jesus. This was really important to Jesus. It was his favorite way to address God. He referred to God so often that we can see how important it is for each one of us. Uh, Robert Stein, who is a, a theologian, explains it this way. He says that the Father is not simply a way Jesus intends his disciples to address God. Father is the way he intends us to know God. This is it. I believe in God the Father. Actually, I haven't talked to any of the other elders about this, but I, I honestly think we should change it to we believe. This is a corporate thing. We do this together. And that's important because sometimes our own faith, we look at the world as, as I explained, expressed it earlier, the world that, that Paul Simon sees. We look at the world, and we might feel like Paul Simon, but, but what we have here is a corporate body that holds us up in moments of our weakest faith. Like, like when you're going to move a piano. You don't try to do that alone. You ask friends for help. When your faith is weak, lean on your friends and trust in what they trust in. Believe in what they believe in. Use the corporate body of Christ the way Christ intends for it to be used. Rely on one another. We believe in God the Father Almighty. We believe. It's how God wants us to call him. It's like someone named Jonathan who wants to be called Jack. Right? You don't... I mean, maybe if you're, if you're rude, you continue to call him Jonathan. I don't know. Uh, but, but he wants to be called Jack, so you call him Jack because I, I don't honestly get the connection between Jonathan and Jack. But that's what you call him because that's what he wants to be called. Thus, when Jesus prays, Abba, Father, in the Garden of Gethsemane, just as he does that, he teaches his disciples to pray, Our Father in heaven. He wants his people to see that their relationship with God is connected in this familial way. He is our Father. And thus Paul writes in Romans 8, You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. If that seems similar to today's passage, it is! <laughs> this was a reoccurring theme in Paul's, in Paul's writings as well. It was important to Paul because it's important to what we understand about God. It's, it's fundamental to what we understand about our relationship with God. We believe in God who is a Father to us. We believe in God, the Father Almighty. When my kids were young, they, they used to call me Daddy. Right? So everybody, everybody's kids call them Daddy. I mean, it, dads, that is, I assume. Uh, Josh is 25 now, Jonas is 21, Hope is 18. It would be weird for them to call me daddy now, right? So, in my mind, uh, the natural connection is dad. But they find that weird too. So, my kids now all refer to me as father. When they walk into the room, they're like, and they have a question, they're like, father? 
dearest. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it feels so formal to me. I called my dad, dad. Father was weird. It's, it, it, it's how you address your dad when you're speaking to someone else. And even then, I'm like, that's my dad over there. I, I, I don't know that I ever would have used father. So at times, we look at God and we go, Father, it feels so formal. And yes, it is. There's a, there's a certain amount of respect that goes with that. And so I do appreciate the fact that my, my children grasp that. We are mother and father. <laughs> it's easy to let that get in the way of what we're talking about here, though. Because Paul adds that Abba has something different about it, right? It's more in endearing, I almost screwed that up. It's more endearing. It's more intimate. It's more connected. It's warmer. It's not exactly daddy, as some have suggested over the years. It's not exactly daddy. But it carries with it that level of intimacy. Remember when your kids were young? I mean, when my kids were young. And they would, they would yell, Daddy, when you came home, and they ran and jumped in your arms. They'd hurt me if they did that now. That's what we're talking about. It's not Daddy. Don't ever quote me on that. <laughs> but it, it has that kind of connotation. The fact that Paul commends this term to us, not once, but twice, tells us that we have that same level of intimacy with God our Father. J.I. Packer, in his book, Affirming the Apostles' Creed, says that when, Christians say, when a Christian says the first clause of the creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, he confesses his creator as both the father of his Savior and his own father through Christ, a father who now loves him no less, no less than he loves his only begotten son. Your father in heaven loves you as much as he loves Christ. Oof. That's weighty just saying it in front of you. Thus we receive all the blessings that he has promised to all of his people, beginning with Abraham. Because we are his children, we're not slaves, we're not young chi- children who have to wait for our inheritance. We are those who receive God's blessings, God's promises now, his purchase of redemption through Christ. We are adopted as his children, and his Holy Spirit puts proof in our hearts right now. The fact that you're here is proof. It's proof. You may feel like, I I, I don't know why I'm here today. I don't want to be here. I had a miserable week. I don't know why why God keeps doing this to me. I, I don't get it. Why does this keep happening? Why is life so hard? You're here. And your your loving Father has called you to be here. So you're here. It's your proof. It's the proof that we need. I get that some in our culture will struggle with the idea of God as Father. Could be sexist, I see. Perhaps their own fathers were uncaring or neglectful or, or God forbid, even abusive. And if, it, if that describes you, let me just start by saying I'm sorry. Sometimes the world sucks. Did I say Sometimes the world stinks really bad. It isn't what it should be. 
It's a broken, messed up place, and people mistreat people all the time. So if you've not had a good experience with your own father, I'm sorry. I'm deeply sorry. I wish I could take that pain away from you. I, I, I wish we could go back and do it again. I wish there was something different. But please hear me when I say this today. Hear me when I say this if you've heard nothing else. Your heavenly father is nothing like that. Nothing. He has nothing to do with the mistreatment that comes from our fathers in this world. Sure, the good qualities that many dads demonstrate come from God. Kindness, love, compassion, gentleness, and so on. The fathers who who demonstrate those qualities on a regular basis, they are pointing towards God as their creator. Even if they don't know who he is, they are demonstrating what God is like when when they act in the way God would and behave in the way God would and do what God would do. But the bad qualities that all of us fathers have, quick-tempered, distracted, cold, critical, abusive, and so on, those things don't come from God. Those sins are on, on those individuals' heads themselves and no one else. Personally, one of my greatest fears throughout life has always been, ever since we had kids, it, it's always been that, that my personal sin and failures, the ones that, that I, I struggle with, and, and there, there are plenty. Um, I'll write a book someday, maybe. My fear has always been that those sins might stand in the way of, 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 of what my children see about God the Father. And I had a friend remind me one time, he said, uh, I was expressing this to him, and, and he said to me, um, uh, he, he went through the passage in Romans 8, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he said, now I want you to insert your child's name, you know, nothing can separate Joshua, nothing can separate Jonas, nothing can separate hope, and, and then put yourself in there as the thing that might separate them. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. God is not like me. God is not like your dad. Yes, we, we demonstrate good qualities of God as fathers, but he's not like us. God the, quali- uh, God the Father has none of the negative qualities of our earthly dads. Instead, he is always perfectly merciful, gracious, patient, loving, faithful, forgiving, and just in everything he does at all times and in every way. He's exactly what a father is supposed to be. He redeems all fatherhood by being the perfect father. And even our earthly fathers can't take that away. He's the perfect father and he calls his children to share in the benefits, the resources, and the duties. And those those benefits include things like being a part of his family. This is a benefit, guys. Don't take this for granted. It's easy particularly in a day and age when we can watch it online, it's easy to think, I'll just watch it online, but there's a connectedness that comes to being here, comes with being here. Seeing the people, letting them see you, even in your worst moments, and sharing that burden with them so they can help carry you along. That's what the body is about. Don't waste it. Don't, don't take it for granted. The resources that were given by the Father, the, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control, all the things, all the fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit bestows upon all believers, 
along with the abilities, the talents, and all the resources that he gives us to share with one another and with the world around us. And the duties that we're called to, the worship, service, to give, to grow, to proclaim, and to obey in all that we think, say, and do. Because of all that Christ did on our behalf, God no longer looks, as, looks at us as enemies, but he sees us as children. The children who are, who are told, who are called upon, who are urged, who are, I don't know how else to say it, who are commanded to call him Abba Father. Will you pray with me, please? Abba, Father, it, I confess it feels weird. It shouldn't. That's who you are. That's who you tell us you are. That's who you tell us you want us to call you. So, Father, help each one of us to remember to do that each and every day. When we recite the Lord's, or the Apostles' Creed here, help us, Lord, to remember what it means to call you God the Father Almighty. What it means to see you as a father. Lord, help us to remember that with that comes the privilege of your joy, your love, your comfort, your peace. Comes with it duties, comes with it connections, Lord, to this body and to others around the world. Lord, help us to not take that for granted, but to live in all that that means each and every day that you might be glorified in all we think, say, and do each day. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.